Welcome to Retirementals, a podcast that dives headfirst into the issues facing the financial sector at the intersection of investment, technology and financial advice. Hosted by Abraham Oksanya, you can expect raw honesty, critical analysis and energetic interviews. Here is your host, Abraham Okasanya. Hello and welcome to Retirementals. I'm Abraham Okasanya. It's great to have you on listening to the podcast today. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. So I am really excited uh, about my guest today. Ruth Hancock is the CEO of Octopus Investments. Ruth, welcome to Retirementals. Thanks for having me. Uh you're one of these incredible leaders in, in financial services, uh, and um, Octopus is a, a brilliant organization. Uh, you guys are doing some great things. So it's great to have you on the podcast just to, um, you know, understand some of those things uh, go- going on. So let's start with your journey in, in financial services. How did you get started in 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 the industry uh, and the journey that's led you to uh, where we are today sure so it's quite eclectic um some people might say random i think there's a thread that runs through it but it's probably probably post-rationalized if i'm honest so i didn't actually start my career in financial services i started my career as a scientist um editing a signed journal and sort of evolved into financial services i went via management consultancy Um, And probably my first big foray um, post-management consultancy into financial services was setting up a challenge bank. Um, So it's a bank called Tandem, it's a green bank um, that's still running today. And I met a couple of entrepreneurs um, about nine or 10 years ago who had this really audacious idea. It was at the time when really only Metro had got a new banking license in the last hundred years. um, And we thought we could do the same. So off we went and indeed we did set up a bank. It was um, kind of the best of times and the worst of times who anyone who's worked for a startup probably can sympathize with. But sure enough, we got a new bank off the ground. Um, and after I'd done that for, I think what well, was four years, but felt like about 40, um, <laughs> I got to know Octopus a little bit through doing that um, and decided to make the jump from, um, from retail banking into investments. And I've been at Octopus for four years now. That's fascinating. There's a lot I want to unpack about that. Um, You know, I'm I'm kind of interested in what's going on or what happened with these new banks. Um, Maybe we should pack that and come back to it. But Octopus is is, kind of an enigma of an organization. Um, You know, we, I know Octopus uh, as... Uh, you know, the, the, the provider of EIS, VCT type products, a lot of financial advisors would know them as that. But but actually, you guys have seeded uh, a lot of really fascinated, uh, fa- fascinating businesses like Octopus Energy. Um, there is also the venture side of things. So talk to us about how the organization is set up, uh, you know, today. Yeah, so Octopus is a, believe it or not, 22-year-old um, wow. private company. So we're still majority owned by founders and employees and intend to remain so, which is, I think, um, when you really get to the nub of it, is what makes us so special. Um, so we started as an asset manager, but an asset manager with a vision to um, deliver a significantly better set of outcomes to customers. 
So we believe that financial services has long been about kind of numbers and is relatively dry. We wanted Octopus to be about something very different. It's about connecting with customers. It's about delivering something much more meaningful for them. Um, and we've evolved in the core business to be um, a private market manager with over 12 billion under management. As you said, you know, most people know us for products like VCTs and EISs, um, products that we think are quite clever, solve really, um, really complex problems for clients, but hopefully in a way that makes them accessible and understandable. Um, and we use those products to invest into the industries that we think will change the world. So renewable energy, smaller companies, uh, healthcare, um, schools, um, and do that in a way that um, that allows retail investors fundamentally access to those sectors um, in private wrappers, which is quite unusual. Um, mostly, you can only get access to those sort of sectors if you're a, if you're a PE or a, a major institutional investor. Um, but with that sort of at our core, um, we realised we could do more than that. Um, and so the first um, the first sort of significant foray, I guess, we made into another company was starting Octopus Energy, which is about six years ago. Um, which, as many of your listeners will know, has grown into a, a huge, um, a huge company with a mission to um, help deliver net zero. Um, but we've also done a lot more in financial services. So we see the stress people feel in managing their money as one of our, as the kind of enemy we're trying to tackle. Um, and we've attacked that from angles that are more than um, about products. So we own a, an investment tech platform called Seckle. We um, own Octopus Money Coach that provides financial coaching in the mass market through workplaces. We've got a wealth business. We've got an accelerator that supports financial advisors, raise growth capital and transform their tech and operations. Um, and that ecosystem, I think, allows us to um, you know, do what we love doing, which is tackle really big long term problems um, in a way that actually companies with a different ownership structure um, can't do in the same way. Just fascinating stuff. So again, I want to I want to follow that where it's leading. So um, let's talk about Money Coach. So this was a business originally founded by Adam. I forget his surname now. Someone's going to kill me for, for saying that. And, <laughs> Adam Price. Adam Fry, Yeah, and and he was backed by uh, Octopus Ventures to to set up that business. And then um, ultimately, uh, you know, selling it to to the group. So, so the idea is what? Because a lot of financial advisors see things, they hear things like coaching, you know, you know, money coachings, and they're thinking, are they trying to compete with us? Um, but this is doing something different, which is what delivering. How would you put it in, through through technology in in the workplace? Yeah, that's exactly it. So, um, so yeah, um, Hatch existed before it became Hatch, became Optimus yes. Money Coach. And interestingly, we actually, we actually backed it from our balance sheet rather than through our ventures. So, right, critically, okay. ventures invest, you know, invest the money. Um, we occasionally take stakes off our balance sheet, which is what we did with Hatch. Um, and then we brought it into the group about eighteen months ago. Um, and made it a made it a group company. As you say, actually, it's trying to do something that, when I speak to most advisors, is something that they either don't want to or haven't figured out how to do, which is provide financial coaching at a much lower price point than an advisor would typically be able to service. 
Um, so we do that through the workplace. We do it through um, talking to employers and employers making the service available to their employees. Um, and critically, our coaches are helping people come up with a money plan, um, but not um, typically advising on products. Um, so therefore, it allows us to get people up to speed, to get um, coaches trained very intensively, but get them trained much more quickly. Um, and actually, the more advisors I speak to, the more they say, oh, is this an interesting thing that I could tag on to my business for maybe the beneficiaries of my advised clients or to incubate, to incubate future clients? So the more you talk to people about it, actually, the, the more they see it as complementary, just as they see direct investment platforms or robos is there's a patchwork of services that um, we all know we kind of need something in every spot if we're going to um, serve everyone in the UK. And so... Um, so I think it genuinely is complementary, but we found, you know, particularly with the, the tough cost of living crisis that we're going through at the moment, actually more employers want to be able to help their employees with financial well-being as well as all the other benefits they offer. So you will sell this into into the workplace through an employee. Can can people come directly to to to, to subscribe to this or to to buy this? Yeah, they absolutely can. So they can go to the Money Coach website and sign up directly. The benefit of doing it through your workplace is that you can pay for it through salary sacrifice. Um, so you can use the pension advice allowance to reduce the cost to the employee. Um, and some employers indeed fund it on behalf of their employees, which is what we do at Octopus. So, um, so there's slightly different commercials depending on which way you come to the business, but you can absolutely come directly as well. And because I'm nosy, I know I probably can't. What, what does this cost typically? What you know, <laughs> for, through through through. No, the it's a good question. So it costs three hundred, yeah. three hundred. It's three hundred pounds a year, which um, which you can reduce by thirty to forty percent um, if you pay through your employer through salary sacrifice. So it does make a meaningful difference if you pay for it that way. That that's fascinating. I wrote an article, I don't know, um, probably six, seven years ago called Financial Titled Financial Planning for the Price of a Gym Membership. So this idea that people are used to paying for things, frankly, everything these days through some sort of subscription model um, and and in a way putting that price at, at or below in this case, below what you would pay for your gym membership is incredible. But I don't think any any sensible financial advisor that I know wants to or should be doing this, uh, you know, as part of this uh, directly to to clients. So it seems like a logical thing that they will tag onto onto something like this. Totally agree, and I love I love that analogy. I might steal it if I'm allowed. <laughs> Um, of um, of help with your finances for the same price as your gym membership. I couldn't agree more. And I think most, you know, running a business like Money Coach is very different from running a typical um, financial advice business. It should be. You need the tech to really work. You need to be able to scale very quickly. Um, all of those things that actually doing that in the same um, business as an existing advice business that's been around for a while is it, quite challenging. So we actually think we're filling a space that advisors right now don't want to or need to fill. Most advisors I speak to say I've got quite enough clients actually. Yeah. Um, my challenge is is serving them all brilliantly and, and scaling my firm, not not going out hunting for clients, um, particularly clients with 
probably slightly lower investable assets than an advisor would typically work with. Absolutely. I mean, why should why should an advisor do this? Uh, is there justification? You know, because suppose a typical advice client might have, say, I don't know, you know, two hundred thousand pounds of of liquid wealth across their pensions, ISAs, and, and let's say that they charge, I don't know, eighty basis point. I'm making these numbers up, by the way. Um, you know, you you end up with a revenue per client of say fifteen hundred. Uh, you know, to, to serve. I don't see how providing a service at, say, £300 a year per client um, is going to be profitable for a, uh, a chartered, certified financial advisor. And also then we have, you know, lots of people in the upper end of the wealth retiring, needing advice. I don't see the reason why an advisor would want to. I would like them to, but I don't see any commercial reason why they would want to uh, deliver this kind of things. But anyway, moving on. So, so you have the you have the technology in the in the front end. You have the uh, individual money coaches working with with clients, and is it? Is it a one-to-one -one relationship, a one-to-many relationship? How does this work in the back end? Yeah, critically, it's one-to-one -one from an advisor and um, and client perspective, or from a coach and client perspective, I should say. Um, and I think that's what makes it quite special. So, um, you know, I definitely think there is a place for pure tech solutions for people who are relatively self-directed and confident with their finances. I haven't yet come across many models that work for people who are more nervous or need help or um, or someone described it to me as they want someone to say to them just before they press execute, I'm not a Wally, am I? Um, <laughs> just give them that bit of confidence. And I think most of us are like that, actually. Um, so I believe that that one to one relationship is really critical because you want someone just as with great financial advice, you want someone to understand your situation and say, yeah, you know, I think on the balance of probabilities, these, these, this might be the right plan for you. Um, and I think that gives people confidence. I think it breaks the apathy that we see in people thinking, should I get round to writing a long-term financial plan? Oh, I can't be bothered. Oh, you know, I'll get to that tomorrow. If all you've got to do is find half an hour out of your work diary and log onto a call, um, people do that and then they finish and they say, oh, I feel so glad I've got that sorted. And they've probably taken a decision to put a bit more into their pension. They probably have decided what goal that they're working towards. Um, and critically, some of that stress that people feel sort of lifts away. Um, and um, But I think that does take a, a relationship with a person in, in many, many cases. Good stuff. So let, let's talk about Circle. Obviously, Circle is a, it's a business run by my very good friend, uh, David Ferguson. I have huge respect for David. Uh, I keep thinking back and forth on what Circle's trying to do and who Circle's competition actually is. Is it FNZ? Is it the traditional platform? Or heck, are you trying to eat everybody's lunch? Uh, how, how, do you, how do you think about it? It's a great question. So uh, we think about Settle as doing two things fundamentally. So we think about it um, reducing the cost um, for people to 
um, access the investments they want to access. You know, I, I'm a really strong believer that a customer should not be paying for people keying between systems, mm. which is what happens in our industry at the moment, that we know that much of the tech we use is relatively old, um, doesn't really talk to each other, isn't driven by APIs. So part of what Settle is about is just reducing the um, the extent to which customers are paying for administration. You know, that's not what customers want to pay for. They want to pay for value and advice typically. Um, so that's number one. The other bit that I think is really exciting is I think I see Seckle as a force for innovation. So you can get up and running on Seckle much more quickly than you can on an older software stack. So that means that whether you're a fintech, whether you're an advisor setting up your own platform, whether you're a consolidator, you can get going more quickly. Um, who does that mean we compete with sort of everyone and no one, I guess, is we're, we're, we're unashamedly trying to transform the industry. Um, we're trying to allow advisors to own their own customers and own their own platform. We're trying to allow um, investment platforms to spin up more quickly to meet different customer needs. We're trying to enable customers like businesses like Money Coach to operate profitably by providing state of the art technology. You know, there will be... Um, there will therefore hopefully be choices that individual customers make that, that move them towards Seckle and away from some of the solutions they're using. But uh, we don't sit in Seckle HQ thinking, right, we're going to destroy, <laughs> we're going to destroy these guys. We actually think, how can we, how can we transform outcomes for customers um, by reducing cost and enabling innovation? Um, and that's, that's what gets us out of bed in the morning. This is just my observation, right? I, I totally see and get this for the, the fintech side of things, right? You know, so the fintechs are, uh, you know, by their very nature, they want to build stuff, API, they can read, they know what APIs are. You talk to your typical financial advisor down in Devon, <laughs> And you start to talk about APIs and, um, you know, building a tech stack and all these things. You completely lost them. This is, this is my assessment. How do you see Circle? And again, you know, how do you see Circle working with this type of advisor? Or is this not your, is this not your, your audience, so to speak? No, it's a great question. And I think it comes in waves, if I'm honest. So, you know, it won't have escaped to anyone's attention that the industry is going through a massive wave of consolidation. So there are many people in the industry thinking, how do I join firms together in a way that works? That is, I think, probably Seckle's strongest suit at the moment, um, because you can migrate customers over much more easily. Um, I think it'll be a more robust um, platform than some others as, as firms scale. So that's at the very bigger end, which is how do you start with something that means that you can consolidate into it? Um, you then potentially go down into um, advisors that have, you know, decent assets under management, say north of 250 million, where many will look at their um, business and say, actually, I think there's a really robust commercial case here. For me to use a platform like Seckle because it drives efficiency and it um, it allows me to improve my customer experience. So therefore, I'm going to figure out a way to make it happen, and that might be you know over time Seckle helping them with that. It's also one of the reasons we set up the Advisor Accelerator at Octopus because we think that there are firms 
many of whom are customers of ours in other bits of the business who really want to do this, but need a bit of help with the tech and operations. And we get that. Most brilliant advisors are brilliant because they've spent their careers focusing on people, not on tech and operations. So um, so we have bits of the group that can help with that. And then I think those at the very small end, um, you know, south of 250 million under management, probably isn't quite right for them yet, actually. Um, and that's fine. And it might be over time. Um, but, um, you know, I think with any good product, you've got to get your product market fit right. And as you say, if you're if you're not yet at a scale where there's a commercial case that um, improving your underlying technology makes sense, then, then I wouldn't do it yet. Like focus mm. on the bit that you love. They're serving clients. Um, but I think as you get bigger, um, there is a real business case. And I think actually as as um, you know, as our industry changes and firms join together and then potentially split out again, and who knows what the next 10 years <laughs> will look like. Actually, I think, um, I think we'll see smaller and smaller firms finding a solution like this um, will work. We also find some, you know, partnering with other firms. So a firm might have implemented Seckel and they will make that platform available to others in the industry. I think it's a brilliant model. Um, and, you know, we're pretty agnostic as to, um, as to how people get there, but it's that it is that powering innovation that you do see some in the market. You say, "Well, I think I can, I think I can make a platform out of this." Brilliant. Yeah, let, let's talk about um, um, uh, the advisor accelerator. And I, I met Dan Marsh, who's running this uh, a few weeks ago, and this is fascinating to me. So, talk to me about what you're really trying to do there. You know, this idea of dare i say is this venture capital but for financial advice uh what, what is it you're trying to do there again assume that people listening have never heard of of of, of this yeah absolutely so um you know through all of our businesses in octopus we spend a lot of time talking to financial advisors and we know that there are lots of advisors over the next 10 to 15 years thinking how do i exit my business and I think there are loads of exit options out there. You know, most advisors I speak to might get calls a couple of times a week. Um, there are also, though, advisors who want to grow their business for the next 20 years and want to grow something meaningful. They want to solve a real customer problem. They want to um, they want to be the change in the industry um, and they have fewer capital options. Um, and they also face some of the challenges we've been talking about, which is, again, if you're a phenomenal advisor business owner you probably have thought much more about your customer journey than you have about your tech and operations and you reach a scale where you need some help thinking how do i scale to the next level so we set up the advisor accelerator to cope with both those challenges we want fundamentally for all of our businesses we want the financial advice industry to be thriving and successful and we saw a gap of um, owner managed businesses that want to grow where they struggled with capital options that allowed them to grow their own firm rather than exit and support with um, operations and technology. And we're fortunate within the group that we have both those things. Um, so that's what the accelerator is doing. We've only just started. So, you know, as with all of the new things we do, it's sort of an experiment at the moment. Yeah. Um, and I may sit here in two years saying it's wonderful and we've transformed loads. And I may sit here and say, oh, you know, we learned some stuff. And we're going to do something else now. Um, but but I'm convinced that gap exists. Um, and, and I think because we've got Seckle and because we've worked with financial advisors so long, we're pretty well placed to, to help solve it. 
that that first of all that attitude that attitude of look this is new um we're gonna let learn things along the way we're gonna iterate we're gonna follow this process with a pencil and an and eraser rather than a pen you know like we know what we're, we're, we're doing i think that's a you know that that's just an incredible attitude um and to me, when I think about Oct Octopus um, in, in this space, and I think, well, this is a this is an organization that's twenty plus years old, but still in in many ways behaving uh, in, in many ways not not entirely, but behaving like a startup and starting things up and empowering people. I th I think that's in, in just an incredible attitude, uh, you know, to have now. Coming back to the, the, the accelerator thing. So the idea is, say, I am um, Jane Bloggs, um, financial advisor, Jane Bloggs, down in Devon. I don't know why I keep saying Devon. <laughs> um, you know, I'm in my 40s, stereotype. Um, I want to build uh, a, a great business. I've already got some, you know, some clients, maybe, I don't know, 10, 20 million of assets. And then I come to uh, the, the, the advisor accelerator. What is it that you'll be giving me? Are you going to be taking a stake in the business, giving me capital to grow? Will I have control? Or are you taking that? Uh, what is the tech option that... I know it's not fully formed, but what is it that you're envisioning? What is it that you're trying to do in this space? Yeah, so I think the first conversation would be about the individuals kind of ambition and plan so we will work with um firms that share our values that want to build a thriving industry that have some of the same beliefs as us which is actually the more efficient your business can be probably the more valuable it's going to be that care about profit as well as assets under management so there will be some of those things that as with any conversation you're having you're like do we do we think about this industry in the same way so that tends to be conversation number one uh, conversation number two is, do we think we can help? Um, and the way that we will help with tech and operations is embedding someone in the business for a bit to really sit at the right hand of the founder and say, let me help you solve this. You know, that might be, um, SECL might be a part of that. It might be about the CRM. It might just be about the way they think about the customer journey. Um, but it's people who've worked in different bits of the octopus business and out in the advice industry who think, I've kind of seen how it's done elsewhere. Can I help this founder do that in their firm too? And then the third bit is capital, which could be sort of any of any of what you said. It could be taking a stake in the business. It could be lending money to the business. Um, but it's unlocking growth in a way that um, that allows the firm to grow without exiting if that's not what they want to do. Um, for many, that's a brilliant option to exit to. Um, to hand your client book over to someone you know will care about them. For others, they want to keep growing against their vision. Um, and so you'd want to make sure you share that vision and then you'd want to make sure that they have the capital to grow in a sustainable way. Um, so that's sort of the three layers of how how we think it'll work. That, that's fascinating. Um, and thank you for... This wasn't scripted, by the way. So I'm just really following. And, you know, I know you don't personally run that business. So I'm asking you for all this granular uh, detail that you, you know, that... that uh, so thank you. Thank you for, for taking that in your stride. So, 
Okay, no, wonderful, wonderful stuff. Um, you talked about these um, advisors that are looking to exit, maybe not immediate, right? You know, so I talk to a lot of brilliant firms, you know, firms with, say, 200, 300 million of assets. They built a, an incredible business, you know, they don't want to sell, right? Not in the next five years, maybe not even in the next 10, but they do know that, you know, they're probably in their, you know, early 50s, say, you know, they do know that at some point, you know, the purpose of an entrepreneur building a, a business is that they will at some point, you know, maybe take some capital off the table and, and provide greater financial security to their family. And the thought of selling to the typical consolidator, a lot of the private equity type firm coming into this space, just scared the shitless out of them. <laughs> um, is there anything that Octopus is thinking about in this space or doing in this space? Or can you offer, you know, any, any, any insight um, on this uh, at all? Yeah. And I, you know, I'm, I meet, I meet the same, the same people and, and most brilliant advisors, you know, they get out of bed caring most about their client book. Um, and so actually when they're thinking about any capital options, it's how does that play out for my customers? Um, you know, that's partly what the accelerator is about. Again, if if if, um, if firms could benefit from that and and need help. I mean, I think when I when I think about what if I were in the shoes of those advisors, what I would do is um, I think we're going to see a shift over the next few years from a real focus on multiples of recurring revenue to profit. Huh. Um because you do at this point in a market cycle. So if, if I were sitting there, I'd be thinking, how do I how do I get my firm to be as as efficient and profitable as possible? You know, then potentially debt financing becomes an option, um, which it probably should for a mature, um, you know, profit generating business. Debt is often a better option than than giving up equity, depending on your own aspirations. Um, so that's what I would be focusing on. I think the other things that I've seen. Uh, funders increasingly look at is, you know, what is the longevity in your client book? So I think we've got used to looking at the assets under management and sort of thinking of that as a big chunk. Actually, if you don't have a next gen strategy, if you don't have a spousal strategy, if you're not thinking about the diversity of your team, if you're not thinking about customer acquisition, I think increasingly, wherever you're raising money from, that next level of detail that really helps a uh, potential funder or lender understand the longevity of your business will come into play. So it's that business planning that I think if you've got most of that nailed, I don't think it's something to feel scared of because I think there will be funding options out there, whether that's PE, whether that's um, whether that's lending, whether that's someone like Octopus. Um, but I would be thinking beyond the where I think we were a few years ago, which is if I've got a load of assets, I'm probably going to be fine. Um, I think we've I think we've moved to the next level, and I think we should actually because I think that's what that's what dictates how healthy a business is. Um, but that's yeah, it's it's that that stage of the cycle I think we're in. Yeah, that's interesting. This idea of maybe some sort of debt funding 
to to enable founders to sell to the next generation because they they all tell me that they would like to in some shape or form bring the next generation into the ownership um of of the business the problem is that if you're an owner and you're trying to sell to you know the next gen once you dealt with all the emotional and the individual issues right and you actually decide that that's what we're doing you got to fund as it's where today you got to fund that for the next i don't know seven you know 10 odd years to allow to allow the next generation to pay you back and so having some sort of um you know probably debt some other structure to to provide a degree of meaningful immediate liquidity and then you know for for the for the founders and then uh, for that to be paid back um you know by by the next generation of shareholders is probably an interesting one that uh, yeah it's exactly it and and i mean what where it leads you to as well is the earlier you're thinking about this the better probably mm-hmm. um because that's i think that can be a kind of leverage almost management buyout can can work definitely but actually if you're really planning this into the way you run your business then you're probably helping those um younger advisors earn equity earlier um you're probably helping them think about how can you sort of phase out and they phase in because the longer period you do it in the less likely it is to disrupt the the whole firm um but i think i think some people who've understandably never done it before think about it at the point they're ready to exit where actually if you thought about it five years before which is great in hindsight but um then um then it can actually feel a lot smoother for everyone that's brilliant, brilliant stuff. Thank you, Ruth. Look, I want to start to wrap this up. Uh, I've got a couple more questions for you, and then we can. I'm, I'm really enjoying this and learning stuff. Uh, but you know, my my producer is going to have me for lunch or dinner if I do <laughs> if I don't try to stick to time. You know, um, so so as a woman in financial services, we know that. Um, someone at I was at a conference last last week yes you know the CISI conference and they they were talking they wanted to talk about you know how financial services treat women and they brought a clips of least trust just a short two seconds clips of least trust that basically say say something along the it is completely unacceptable. Something of that nature. I, I can't remember exactly what the phrase was. They just played that that phrase. Um, how do you think about today our financial services, you know, the experience of women in financial services and what needs to change? Oh, it's a great question. So you know what, if you'd asked me at very many points in my career, I'd have said, um, I don't think I've ever really been discriminated against. I've never been treated particularly badly. Um, and and I think there are some points where I'd have said kind of, I feel as a woman that the more I talk about it, the more it sort of creates a problem that um, that doesn't work actually, and it shines a light on it. I think though, as I've as I've gone on, I probably refined that view a bit, um, which is, I think there are, there are clearly not enough women in financial services, but particularly there are not enough senior women in financial services. Um, and I've also changed my view that I think it's actually 
completely my responsibility to talk about it because the louder I am, actually the more um, there might be women in the industry who think, oh, it's not possible for me because I don't see any senior women. It absolutely is possible. And I definitely feel a huge responsibility to shout as loudly as possible that, yeah, it's absolutely um, it's absolutely an option for you. What do I think needs to change? So again, you can only really speak from personal experience. I found parenting a bigger change than simply my gender in the first place. Mm, so I've mm. got two little kids, they're four and six. Um, you know, I took time off, not that much when I had them. Um, my husband did too. Um, and, um, and I think actually until we all get to the stage where parenting in the workplace is seen as a male and female responsibility, it's equally likely that either gender will take time off, notwithstanding the fact that clearly women are the ones that give birth, clearly they're often the ones that feed. That doesn't mean that um, men can't take time off for parenting. And probably the thing, one of the things I'm proudest of at Octopus is you get exactly the same shared parental leave. You get six months fully paid, whether you're a man or a woman, when you have kids. Um, and it means men are really starting to take time off. Um, and that means a men benefit from the wonderful perspective you get from a few months um, sort of focusing on a different day job. Um, but it's not that women in their 30s get looked at as this sort of set of individuals that at some point are going to opt out, which is what most women in their 30s will tell you they've felt like at some point. Um, and they felt they've been judged in that way. So if I was to say one thing uh, from my perspective, it's... Um, it's an equal, an equal treatment of parenting in the workplace, I think would make, make the biggest difference in getting all of the brilliant women you see at more junior levels into more senior roles. That, that's fascinating, thank you. Uh, I mean, your experience about, about this actually in, in many ways resonates with me because people ask me the same thing. They say, you know, what's your opinion on say discrimination or whatever in financial services? And my response always like, if anyone discriminated against me in financial services in my journey, I haven't noticed, right? You know, like, this is what I mean. Like, it just doesn't, you know, it doesn't cross, you know, they say, you know, uh, you know, have you been bullied or whatever? I'm like, have you met me? No, I'm, uh, you know. <laughs> um, but you are absolutely right that the more you talk to other people and you listen to other people's experience and you actually say, well, you know, maybe I suffer from survivorship bias in the sense that because it's not my experience and I've managed to do okay, then, then it must be that this thing doesn't exist, but actually, um, you know, it, it does. So, so it's, um, you know, it, it's fascinating and comforting to hear that. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I, I don't think that I have evolved, um, not nearly as you have, to feeling that it's my responsibility to talk about these things and all that. I mean, it's it's exhausting, you know, because, it, you know, you, you take that burden on in addition to the day job. I'm, not, I'm just saying to myself, I'm a capitalist. I'm trying to make a, you know... <laughs> you know, build something in the world and you want me to talk about diversity and racism and all that stuff. I know, you know, we have to, but I haven't evolved as you are. So, as you have, so, so I I continue to to learn. So, no, no, it's, it's fascinating to hear your views about um, 
women in financial services. Do you think things like, again, I'm talking completely out of uh, my ignorance, things like setting up award for women, you know, women only awards and things like that. Does it help? Does it help this course, what we're trying to do? I kind of oscillate back and forth on um, on these things because, again, you could argue it either way. You could argue that an award for women is sort of almost an acknowledgement that there's a huge problem or even that women need a special award because they couldn't win the one for any gender. Like, no one wants to feel like that. It's like someone saying, oh, you got that board role because they needed another woman. It's like, no, I got it because I'm yeah, good. So it yeah. just makes me feel worse. Um, so you can argue it. I think, though, where I've come full circle is... Uh, it's kind of anything that helps. So I, I, I am staggered by the number of people, um, women I speak to earlier in their careers who have almost counted themselves out before the industry has counted them out. Mm. Um, mm. And there's lots of research that says women actually need, for want of a better word, role models more than men. So role models are particularly important um, for women to believe that they can achieve something. So I kind of think if it gets, if two or three people see that award and go, oh, I want to win that award, then that's got to be, a, it's got to be a positive thing. Um, so I'm a bit of a believer in you have to try all sorts. But um, but when people say to me, oh, you know, um, and you do hear it, uh, oh, you, you know, it is easier for women or they must have got that job because they were worried about representation. You're like, oh, come on. <laughs> so yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's no, clearly it's, not not the case. Yeah, let, let's hope that we get to a point where we don't need this type of, you know, this type totally. Of, I've really enjoyed our conversation, Ruth. Um, I think what's left for me to to ask is, uh, I mean, you're still way, way many years away from from retirement and things, but I'm going to ask anyway. How do you think about planning and investing for your for your own retirement. It's obviously a large seed pot somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, no, it's a really good question. And you know, it's the kind of question that drives my husband bonkers because I can't imagine a day when I don't work. He would happily, you know, he's like, well, surely there comes a day when we can go and play golf together. I don't play golf. Um, and he sort of is looking forward to that day where I can't quite imagine um, I can't quite imagine not working because I love it. It gives me energy. Um, it um, it gets me out of bed in the morning. So um, you know, I think like many people, I think how do I how do I get to the stage where I can you know help my kids out and not have to worry? It's the lack of worry. It's the theme that runs through it. How do I not have to worry about if I earn less or if I have more caring responsibilities or I want to cut my life differently? How can I mitigate that worry I would feel? Um, that's really that's really what I think about. But um, but when I think about my career planning, it's more how can I how can I go faster and faster and faster? <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna hate it when I can't. It's gonna drive me mad. How do you invest your own money? Yeah, I do. I have an advisor actually who's a friend who I used to work with. He's an incredibly smart guy. One of those advisors of whom there are many where the the joy for him is the strategy the thinking the the lifetime cash flow model rather than rather than anything else so i find conversations with him really 
um, stretch my thinking, which is great because you don't always have the headspace to do it yourself. And then I also invest a lot myself, particularly private strategies. So I probably invest much more into private strategies as you'd expect um, than many people would. And I do all that myself because it's because it's the day job. Um, but um, so a bit of a mix for me. That's interesting. I was going to ask you actually if you do any angel investing because this is a this is a thing obviously for successful entrepreneur. They make a bit of money and they want to invest back, uh, you know, as well as executives. So you, what's your what is either you're looking for in early stage companies and things when you're investing? They might be listening, probably not. <laughs> Yeah, so often, um, so often it's people I know or have worked with, and so because right. with any venture investing, as our ventures team would tell you, you're you're normally backing the individual at an early stage. So actually, when you know individuals and you know what they're capable of, I think you're much more likely to have the confidence to back them. So not being a massive angel investor, but sort of dipping my toe in, it's generally people that I know and trust and believe in their vision and values. Um, and then clearly I back our ventures team, I back our, um, a bunch of our strategies at Octopus because I know those people as well and I trust them. Um, so, um, but yeah, it's the, it's the people for me actually that I tend to be backing. Uh, you know, clearly I have to think the idea is not mad, but, um, <laughs> but as you were saying, with the, I loved your analogy of sort of drawing with a, with a pencil and an eraser. Um, it, that's the same with virtually every startup. So if you're looking for a startup and you think I'm going to back this, nailed on business strategy i mean you're, you're kidding yourself it's going to change 15 times in the first year if if the founder has any sense so um so to me you're predominantly backing the founder and you're backing the territory they're in and the and you're backing them to figure it out um because that's that's how startups work fascinating fascinating stuff ruth hancock thank you very much for your time thank you for your wisdom thank you for 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 all that you do in in the industry thank you Pleasure. Thanks for having me. I'll be remiss if I don't thank my incredible team who worked very hard to put this program together. Thank you. Thank you very much, guys. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Timeline Retirement Planning Software and Pytech low-cost flat fee model portfolio manager and to you our listeners thank you for your time i hope you've had as much fun listening to the program as we have making it you can find more about the show at retirementals.co.uk and you can follow me on twitter my handle is abraham on money until next time thank you and goodbye